The Lord is still risen. Still. Uh, this is still Resurrection Sunday, just like last week, right? First day of the week. The early church celebrated it. I mean, we have a lot of people out there. We have a lot of people sick um, or, or hurting really bad, right? Um, even in my own family, uh, poor Cindy, she, she was doing some housework, uh, of which I demand her to do every day. And, um, and then I pushed her too hard, bless her heart, and she uh, threw her back out. And so, um, you know, so uh, then, uh, you know, Trinity, I'm, I made her do so much yard work this past week that uh, she hurt her leg, and that poor girl couldn't even walk out of the bed this morning. So, um, you know, I'm a hard taskmaster, but Jesus is good. Amen. <laughs> so, uh, man, we, do, we actually have a lot of people out overall, so uh, be in prayer for each other. And so, uh, also, be in prayer for the Wilsons, right, this week, right? We're hoping to, right, this is the do week, right? This is it. This is, this is it, right? So, um, she would probably, would probably accept today being the day, right? Is this how, like today, now, right now? Yes. Well, hey, uh, before we get started, a uh, couple things. One is children's ministry here today. Corey is leading our children's ministry for the kids club, and so now we can go ahead and dismiss the kids to kids club today. What's our lesson on today, Corey? The seven seas of history. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I like that. Okay, also, uh, they may be watching this or may not. I don't know. But, um, but uh, today is my mom's birthday, right? So happy birthday, Mom. Um, and so uh, I don't know if they'll get to watch this uh, later. And so um, also I would say this. Last week, uh, so enjoyed our Easter service, but I want to tell you, um, our Resurrection Day, it felt so weird to not have a meal with you and to not do Edify, and I love that, it, 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 that it felt so weird that it's become just a normal uh, piece of our life here. So excited about that. Um, okay, uh, I have something in my hand here. It's a block of wood, right? Anybody ever seen a block of wood before? Is this a new... If, if you've seen this block of wood, I've been passing it around this morning at 9 o'clock. Um, by the way, if you don't know, we do have 9 o'clock classes. We have a great one that Austin's been teaching. The ladies have one. We have one for the youth, and so we have a combined one for the kids. But, so here's a block. Here's what I want to do. I want to see if we can, this is not going to be easy to do, right? But I'm going to give this to Austin first, right? Then Austin's going to pass it to the second row. The p- second row will pass it through everybody. Then the second row will pass it to the... Third row. Then somehow we're either going to get to the end where George is or where Tiffany is, one of the two. And then that person takes this block and goes over to the what? Last row, right? And then that last row passes it, and then it comes to that row, then the next row, then the next row. Do we get the idea of this? And It's a block party. That's right. It's a block party. Love that. And then we'll either end up at Tom, you know, wouldn't that be cool if it ended up with him since he had the, the funny joke, right, block party, or it will end over here at John. Oh, nope, it's going to end over here at Arabella. So, well, actually, you're the first row. Congratulations, Arabella. This, if we have enough intelligence in here this morning, this block will end up in your hand eventually, right? Do y'all think we can do it? Does everybody think we can do it? Y'all? Okay. Here's what I want you to do. When the block comes by, I want you to take a look at it. I want you to study it. There is a purpose to this block. I want you to think, how does this have anything to do with our message today? And I would say this. What you see right here, I think, is a great visual of what Jesus is talking about in our text here today, right? This will be our last message on Sermon on the Mount today. Um, we, um, we've spent quite a bit of time on it, uh, so thankful for it. Uh, then next week we'll actually start a, we'll do it, I'm planning to do two weeks, it could turn into three, and then we'll actually go towards our second Corinthians study. Now, um, one of the things I want to talk about, and I've been studying this for a while, but the Lord has continued to stretch me in this, I want to talk just about the idea of Sabbath, right? I want to talk for that for a couple weeks, I wanted to come out of the 
just what we saw in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, but then make it make its way to the fourth commandment and kind of talk about what does that look like today, right? Because I, I think we're all struggling with that one. We, we have for some time, um, and I think it's good to have a conversation. I want to talk about um, I want to talk about that subject matter. But before we do, we're going to finish Sermon on the Mount today. I hope it will be um, edifying for you. And so here is a piece of wood, right? And somehow that will connect up for the message here today. Take a look at it, observe it, pass it around. Um, so, okay, let's do this. Take your Bible and go over to Matthew chapter 7 as we're passing successfully around this block of wood. Matthew chapter 7, would you stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word as we finish off Sermon on the Mount? Such a great text of Scripture that we have here today. We've got, we've got um, a couple paragraphs as we end out. I believe this message really fits together very well. Chapter 7, verse 13 through chapter 7, verse 29. <clears throat> I would, if you want to have a title for this message, I would probably call this maybe the square life, the square life, right? So it says this in verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is narrow and the way is constricted, or hard in some of your translations, that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears forth good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a Bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, in your name did we not prophesy. In your name cast out demons. And in your name do many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Verse 24. Therefore, who hears the words of mine and does them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock the rains descended, the rivers came, the winds blew and fell against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. And everyone, hearing these words of mine and not doing them, may be compared to a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now, it happened that when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Would you pray with me over this? Help us not to overlook the intent of the author. Help us not to overlook the intent of what the first recipients understood from this, and then let it not escape us for the applications and the warnings and the encouragements that we see in this text for us today, 2,000 years later. Help us to take from this text. Help us to, um, to live the kind of obedient life that you have called us to. Lord, let us dig deep into your word. Let us find the glory of God. Let us find you in it. Let us find obedience to your will and your commands. Help us in that. If there's someone who's here who's never bowed the knee, repented in, with repentance and faith, believed in you, as there's someone who's not trusted in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, would today you, you awaken them? Today would you bring grace to them? Just like you did for me when I was 16 years old. Help and do this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Thank you.
Okay, so in this text, here's what you see. You see two paths, two trees, and two foundations. Two and two and two. You see it in the text. Now, this is not uncommon, actually, in Jewish literature, but even in ancient literature, that oftentimes there will be a compare and contrast, right? A here's one way, here's another way. You see this even when you read, actually, the Psalms. Have you ever noticed in the Psalms, sometimes it'll give a truth and then it'll give the opposite truth. It's called parallelism. Regardless of that idea, what I want you to get today is this. There are two paths, two trees, and two foundations, right? Now, a lot of times in life, we like to kind of think, oh, no, there are many paths. Nope, actually, in scriptures, there's two paths, there's two trees, and there's two foundations, right? God's way is, I mean, we, we like lots of options, but that's not how the economy of the Bible works, right? There's people who are in Christ and people not in Christ. There are people that are obeying the Lord and people not obeying the Lord. There are people who, whose life is built on the foundation of God's word and the finished work of the gospel and those whose lives are not built on the Word of God and the Gospel. There are those who believe that God's moral commandments, the Ten, the ten Commandments, that they're basing their life on that, not to earn righteousness, but in response to the righteousness of Christ in them. And there are those who are disregarding this as something by God. There are those that are looking into all of Scripture. For instance, how we think about marriage and family and gender there are those who are looking into what is God's word said. That's one path or another path. But let's just be honest. Really, the Bible reduces it down and simplifies it. Although life isn't simple, the direction sometimes is. There's two paths. There's two trees and there's two foundations. So we see this two by two by two. And, and what I want you to notice in the text today, they all lead into each other. In a minute, we're going to look at the narrow path. If you're in the narrow path, then you'll be in the good fruit, the good tree, and you'll be on the solid rock, right? If you're in the wide path, then you're going to give in to false teaching. You're going to, be, you're going to show forth not only the fruit of the bad tree, but you will listen and heed the counsel and wisdom and philosophy of those who are false teachers and thus Life will be on sinking sand. Two paths, two trees, two foundation. And they all are parallel leading to each other. This is not a common device. This is not an uncommon device to use, especially in Jewish literature. So first, let's do this. Let's look at verse 3 through 4. First, I want you to notice two paths. There are two paths in life. That's it. There's the wide gate, the wide path. Then there's the narrow gate and the narrow path. I want you to look at the text again. Look at verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it, verse 13. So take a look at the wide gate. All philosophies go into the wide gate. Notice in the text, it's easy, it's wide. Many go through it. In the end, the wide gate leads to destruction. The wide gate. What does the wide gate look like? I think it looks like this in, in several. I mean, from their immediate context, Jesus would be once again, I believe, in the text, pointing back to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes. He was pointing back to the errors that they were teaching the people. They were adding to God's word, taking away from God's word. They were putting people, they were putting people on the path of destruction instead of the path of righteousness, right? So unrighteous that these religious leaders should have actually been able to go, wait a minute, this is the Messiah, and point people to them. Instead, they said, we got to kill this guy and get rid of him, right? So they're putting, they're influencing people towards the wide path, the wrong path. Now, contextually, that's what they're doing. In our context, I don't know if we're really doing that as much. I mean, we are, but we're doing it in different ways. In our context, it, it more has to do with, we say this thing a lot of times, all paths lead to Jesus. You'll hear people say that. You ask somebody, do you believe in Jesus? Is Jesus your Lord and King? Yes, he is. Okay. And then you ask, well, are there other ways that you can, you can get to heaven? And they'll go, yeah, there's other ways. My God's a loving God. He accepts all sorts of ways. All roads lead to heaven. And I would say, if that's the belief that one has, then one actually is on the wide, the wide path for destruction. There's a, it's only narrow. 
Jesus said, no man comes to the Father but by me. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's the wide path, then there's the narrow path. The wide path is easy. It's easy to get on. Many go through it, and it leads to destruction in the end. It will lead to a destruction of not only your life, but it will lead to destruction of eternal damnation. This is what the wide path does. Now, look at the narrow path. The philosophy is different. For the narrow path, it can be hard. This promise that people make sometimes, come to Jesus and your life will be easy. Please, let's quit telling people that. Being a Christian is not an easy life, but God's good, right? It's not an easy life, but his yoke is easy and his burden light, right? So it's it's not an easy life. But it's a blessed life. So the, that, that actually way is a narrow way. It's a narrow path. It says in the text, look in verse 14. It says, for the gate is narrow and the way constricted that leads to life. And few, few find this path. And this path leads to life. Once again, Jesus, the context of talking to religious leaders. But I want you to get the application here. That this is kind of all over us now. People keep thinking there are other pathways to God than besides Jesus. And, 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 and here's the thing I want you to notice here in a minute. If you're on the wide path, then you'll listen to the false teaching. And life will bear forth bad fruit, right? And then you'll be on the foundation of, of one's life will be sinking sand. Which will bring destruction now and will bring destruction in eternity. It's a both and. That's the thing about it. So he says here, enter in through the narrow. Now, just to kind of make an application here, I grew up, when I first started going to church, people would say, if, if you want to be saved, ask Jesus as your Savior. And, by the way, I, I, I don't think that's a wrong thing or a bad thing in, in and of itself. I mean, we should pray, we should ask. But here's what happened a lot of times is people would say they do that, but they thought that prayer was kind of like a religious ritual, right? That if I just said that prayer, then I'm in. And all God wanted me to do was complete a religious ritual of saying this audible prayer. And that's kind of how Christianity was first presented to me. The only problem was is I would look at people who'd made that profession and then go live like hell, right? They would say they're follow, they, they would say I'm going through the narrow gate, but actually they would just follow the wide path. And it always seemed like a big contradiction to, to me, right? Because I would say this, that if you're actually on the narrow path through the narrow gate, which is Jesus alone, then you'll actually have good fruit and you'll actually not listen to false teachers, but the one true good teacher, Jesus. And thus your life will actually be on the solid rock of Jesus, right? It'll be on the solid foundation. So first we see a narrow, first we see a wide. Hey, if everybody in life starts to say there's for instance, if the evangelical culture wide and multitudes of churches start saying and pastors and those who are most popular and those who have the most drawing and following were to say, hey, there's an other way to Jesus and besides this narrow way that we were saying, most would consider and go, well, what has the consensus said? Let's go with the consensus. That's, that's, a, that's a destructive place to go, actually. Don't ever go with what the consensus says, right? Go with what, what has God said. God has said, the, Jesus has said, the narrow, it's narrow, but it leads to life. Few find it. Many go down the way and the path of destruction. The path of destruction is easy. It's wide. It's easy to get to. So we see first this idea of the narrow path and the wide path. Here's a question. What path are we on? What path are we on? Now in a minute, here's what we're going to see. If, if we're actually on the narrow path, then we'll actually see good fruit. We'll actually not follow the, the bad fruit of a false teacher. And we'll actually have solid foundation in our life to weather not only the storms of life, but the judgment to come because your judgment was taken out on someone else. And that's Jesus. So there, it, it plays itself out in many things out actually in our life. But what path are we on? Are we on the wide or the narrow? Now, just once again, I want to pull back something. Most people, when they even, sometimes when we even look at this, we'll go, well, I'm not as bad as this other guy, so I'm on a good path. No, compare your path to the righteous and holy, perfect standard of Jesus Christ, right? That's the path, right? It's not people. It's Jesus. 
What path are we on today, fathers? What path are we on in our own life, and what path and trajectory are we setting our families, are we setting our grandchildren on, right? What path? Can our kids see Jesus followed out in our life? Can our kids see that there's a following of the one true God? Families, I mean mothers, are, are, we, are we tolerating other philosophies other than the one true God as philosophies? Even this kind of thing. I've heard people say sometimes this idea of, well, I'm going to let my children choose who they're going to follow. And so we're going to present them all the options and I'm going to let them make their choice. I'm just going to raise up life through that. And I would tell you, that's not a really good option. That may sound great. That may sound consensus. That may sound great as a, as a Beatles song, right? But that's, that's actually not a real, I wouldn't advise that kind of thing. No, teach your children about the one true God. Ask God and beg God to be merciful to our children that he would save them because we can't save them. But we must teach them about the narrow path, not allow them to just explore the wide path and that, and that, kind, of, that kind, of, uh, kind of hippie philosophy. That, that's not actually the way God actually wants this thing to work. So what path are we on? What path are we on? Not only that, do we, have, we have two paths. You're either, we're either on the narrow or the wide. Isn't that interesting? People go, well, I'm on the third path. Let me give the third path. No third path. There's either narrow or wide. That's it. No third path. You know, um, I read an article um, so that, uh, and someone actually said this the other day, so I went and looked up the article. Uh, they, I forget who it was, but they said something to me about, they, they read a, an article that in Barna Research years ago, it's in 2007, that, um, that Barna mentioned there were five types of Christians, right? As they researched, there were five types of Christians. I think it was in our men's study yesterday. Uh, five types of Christians, right? And so, um, you know, in the George Barna article, it mentions those who are kind of orthodox or liturgical or casual or those who take their faith seriously. You know, that's actually not true. There's not five types of Christians. There's Christians who are on the narrow, and there's those who are not Christian who are on the wide. And that's it, right? There's not multiple different types of Christians. Now, are there different types of denominations? Yes. Are there different types of Bible translations? Yes. But there's only one type of Christian, and that is one who has placed their faith and belief in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, has admitted their sin, and then they are submitting their lives to what the Word of God has said for their life now. Not to earn righteousness, but because the righteousness of God has been put in them, because they have a new heart and a transformed nature. Now, just two paths. What path are we on? But just bear in mind, there's not a third path, a fourth path. There's not a fifth path. There's not five types of Christians. There's the Christian on the narrow, and there's a Christian on the wide. Then there's a non-Christian on the wide. And that's it. What path? Now, what's interesting, you get in the next thing. You get this idea of two different trees, two different trees. By the way, I love how the Word of God and the way Lord, the Lord makes it, um, I I personally have a hard time with the gray, right? I love black and white. Uh, I love the here's this, here's right, here's wrong, you know, walk you in. I love that. The gray area sometimes is really hard. I love that Jesus goes, you're either on the narrow path or wide path. And then he says, there's, there's either the good tree or the bad tree. Now, this is actually tied into false teaching, and we'll look at that, but I think you even have an even more application that we can look at what, what kind of tree? Are, are we a tree that's actually founded in Jesus and it'll bear forth good fruit or bad fruit? But actually the direct application in this actually and direction has to do with the false prophets and false teachers. Well, let's take a look at it. Look in verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. We're going to come back to that. But he basically is addressing the false prophets and he does it through the idea of two trees. The false prophets are the trees that bear forth bad fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit. Good tree, good fruit. And he's actually using that to actually point towards these false prophets. Now, in the context, the people he's talking about are the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees. He's talking about the religious Jewish elite, right, who were adding to God's word, taking away from God's word, were adding to God's law, maneuvering around God's law so that people found a way to justify disobedience, right? You still have this today. For instance, um, you know, there is this epidemic that's happening that, that we often kind of, I guess, nicely call it cohabitation, right? But the, the Bible actually calls it fornication. 
right? The Bible has a whole different word. The Bible calls it sexual immorality. But we even have this thing in our culture that talks about, hey, if you love each other and you plan on getting married someday, what is it that you're already kind of together someday, right? And, and what happens is people will kind of buy into that, right? And they'll hear people teach that. And then all of a sudden you start to see bad fruit get produced in one's life. We start to maneuver God's word and make it say what we want it to say. And here's what we'll do many times. If we're on the wide path, guess who we'll find to confirm us? Those who are false prophets on the wide path. You know what's really awesome today? If you want to get great access to great teaching, great instruction, great discipleship, I mean, if you've got a smartphone or a phone that's making us more dumb, whatever you want to call it, um, you can find it. I mean, it's there. It's a podcast. It's there. We can have it. It's accessible. But not everything that's accessible is actually really good. It's really not. But here's what most people do. Most people actually kind of do life the way pastors kind of do life. Um, someone asked me one time, how do, you, how do you decide how many commentaries to read before you, you know, when you're studying a text? And the common joke is, I read until I find one that agrees with me, right? That's kind of the common. But, you know, that's how most people actually do their search for discipleship. They just try to find someone that agrees with them. Right? They try to find someone that meets their sensibilities. I would go, actually, you, you actually might be on the wide path following someone who's on the wide path. And that's actually who he's referencing here. These false prophets in the text actually are these religious leaders, the Jews, who are false prophets. They are, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. They are among God's people, the sheep of Israel. But they're leading them astray. And basically, if you look in verse 16, 17, 18, he says this. You'll know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears forth good fruit. Every bad tree bears forth bad fruit. He says, look at the religious leaders. Look at what they've been teaching you. Look at their own lifestyles. Look at their lifestyles. They're even, if you look earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, talked about hypocrisy. They're living hypocritically around you. Look at the fruit. He says this in verse 18, A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear Good fruit is thrown down into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. You know, one of the things that we have to be very careful is, even now, is if a person is on the wide path of destruction and unbelief, they can, they can dangerously find people that can justify them on that wide path, right? They're all over the place. And that's one of the dangers, and by the way, these people who are on the wide path, these false teachers in the text who directly was referencing the ruling, the ruling religious Jews, but in our modern-day application, I mean, you, you have to be careful. If there's someone you're going to read their book, listen to their podcast, listen to their sermon, do an examination of their life, right? If you're going to take something off the shelf and let it majorly influence you outside, thus saith the Lord in the Scriptures, better make sure that the person you're actually letting influence your soul and life at that moment, better take an examination of their life, right? Not everything that is actually, I can't say on a Christian bookstore because they don't even exist anymore, but not everything that you Google in and comes up is actually a good thing, right? Examine their lifestyle. That's why I, have, I see people all the time will say, you know, there's really no need for the local church. There's no need for, um, you know, leaders and pastors and evangelists in the local church. There's no need for this. I can do all the spirituality I need with just my own phone and my own home. And I would go, no, probably not, actually. You don't know those people. You don't know their lifestyle. You know, the Bible warns that if you're following the teaching of someone who has a lifestyle that's walking in rebellion against God's law, they may be leading you down a bad path. Because basically what you teach, you ever notice this? This is why I love preaching. Because I have to examine myself and make sure I'm not a hypocrite when I kind of get up here. And it, it was really hard. It, re it really is. But man, it's really good. But I can tell you this. If there is rebellion in my life, the best place for me to influence more rebellion is being allowed to speak to other people. Because if I can justify myself, I'll start justifying it in front of other people, right? And before you know it, I'm teaching you truths that aren't really in the scriptures. So he tells them. Watch these, look at these two trees. Look at the fruit of their life. Look at their teaching. Look how they're obeying the Lord. Now go to verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father 
who is in heaven will enter. Now remember, contextually, he's talking about these these Pharisees and scribes who were adding to God's word. We saw that in chapter 5. They were taking away from God's Ten Commandments. They were taking away from from the commandments that come from the Ten Commandments. They were corrupting what God's word had said. He says this. They does the will of God. Look in verse 22. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, in your name do we not prophesy, cast out demons, and do many miracles. Notice this. I've had people say this. I know what that person teaches may not be right, but man, they do so many good things. Isn't that what Jesus says in the text? I don't know about you, but casting out demons and doing many miracles, that's some pretty impressive ministry. And Jesus says, yeah, and those guys are going to hell. That's what he says here. Not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, but he who does the will of my Father. By the way, this is the danger. Look in verse 21 and 22. Here is the danger. This is what I'd say. If you say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Come into my life. Great prayer. Great thing to say. Say it all day. But I will tell you, the result of authenticity of that prayer is, do I obey him? If there's no obedience... Please go back to that prayer and know that something got missed right there. There was some repentance that wasn't there. A Someone who says, I belong to Christ, does not live on the wide path. Someone that belongs to Christ lives on the narrow path. Someone that belongs to Christ lives on the path of obedience. Someone who is on the wide path, they will find teachers to itch their ears, to tell them what they want, so they're justified in how they live life. Not everybody that says, Lord, Lord. Just because someone has made a profession of faith doesn't mean they have a possession of faith. Let me say that again. Just because someone says they have a profession of faith does not mean they have a possession of faith. Even right here. You know, it was really interesting. Um, you know, what's really shocking to a church is when a ministry leader actually becomes a Christian. People get astounded. There's actually a church here in Collierville uh, not too long ago that the pastor, great church, good church. Um, the pastor got up one day and was like, let me tell you, uh, I got saved this week. You know, and the people were kind of like, I thought that was kind of the first thing you had to have to do this job. You know, confuse the people. And the pastor's like, I, I wasn't saved, you know. And and it was like no one could take it. He actually lost his job. I mean, isn't that great? I mean, how, how awesome is that? You know, um, you know, the way is hard. <laughs> the way is hard. He lost his job. I mean, people couldn't take it. In fact, I was, I was kind of disappointed. I was thinking like, man, how awesome it would have been to have a saved pastor. I mean, I can't recommend it enough. <laughs> have a preacher that loves Jesus. Highly recommended. Not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, Can I ask a question for all of us? When we came to Christ, was our coming to Christ just a Lord, Lord, and that's it? You might go, I don't know. Well, I'll tell you how you know. Take a look at your life, our life. I should be in this, right? Take a look at our life and ask ourselves, are we on the narrow or the wide path? And one might go, well, how do I know if I'm on the narrow or wide path? Is there obedience to the Lord? Is there obedience? Perfection? No. But is there a, here's what the Lord says in his commands. When I, my life doesn't line up, I repent. I seek him. I, I repent. I come back to him. Or is there a, no one gets to tell me how to live my life. I live it how I want to. I'm the master and commander of this whole thing. It's the wide path. Now look at verse 23. I will then declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now get this. These are people who are very successful in their ministry. These false teachers. Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy, cast out demons in your name, do many miracles? And then he says, no, you practice lawlessness. Now, this is a quote from Psalm 119, 115 and Psalm 6, 8. And basically what the word is telling us is, look at these false teachers. Look at the fruit of their life. And where you see them teaching wrongly about God, you see them, you look at the fruit of their own life. You can know these are false teachers. This, this is bad fruit off a bad tree. And, and here's what you got to be careful of. 
If you're on the narrow path, you won't fall for it. But if you're on the wide path, you will. And there's all sorts of guys like this. Now, by the way, just a side note. People keep asking this idea and go, are the Ten Commandments still relevant for us today? Absolutely. To earn righteousness, no. But as a result of God's righteousness on our account by the finished work of Christ, absolutely. And and here's what I love about the Ten Commandments, right? If we're kind of reading the Scriptures and we're kind of like, man, how in the world do I even sort through this ordeal? Like, I don't, man, I'm, okay, what what does Deuteronomy say about this? What does Matthew say? And you're kind of like, man, how do I obey the Lord's Word? I can tell you this. It's so simple. God God lays things out sometimes in such a simple template. Take the next time you're faced with a difficult decision or how should I act, take the Ten Commandments, go through them. Go back to Exodus 20, go through them, and then go, is there any part of this commandment I'm having to break to fall in line here? Now, let me, let me give you an example of this. Um, in our men's breakfast yesterday, which by the way, men, I would encourage you, can I encourage you please, come to our men's breakfast when we have them monthly. They're so great. We get to eat God's chicken most of the time, Chick-fil-A, right? It's blessed, right? Um, I mean, they bless it, and then we bless it again, so it's, it's double blessed, right? We'll start blessing it three times maybe, right, just to make sure, you know, and honor the triune God, holy, 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 right? We'll, we'll do it three times. I, I, I want you to come. We had a great discussion yesterday. We probably could have gone on for hours having this discussion. Do this. Go over, hold your place, and just look at Exodus 20. David, um, so David brought this, um, um, this example of, a, there's an author, and uh, he, she's a pastor's wife. She used to be a, um, actually a professor who, provo- who, who was openly living a lesbian lifestyle as an unbeliever and very, I mean, I mean very militantly promoting um, an ungodly feminist lifestyle, right? She repented, came to the Lord, and actually through reading scripture, right? Um, she actually became a Christian by reading scripture with a pastor, right? Who invited her over to her house for hospitality and kept reading the scripture with her, right? Um, that's good fruit, right? And he kept, reading, he kept reading with her about the narrow way. Regardless, she becomes a follower of Jesus. And a couple years back, you know, the, and you've, we're all here. We all know about this, right? She was asked, like, how do you handle the pronoun issue, right? Where people are now wanting you to say a different pronoun than what that person's biology is. And she had a way of what she was describing to people to be, to be generous and hospitable and stuff. But she came out, and David Dries brought this article out where she, she repented, and she said, I, I've told you wrong. I repent of it. Um, the, Lord's, the Lord's word, his command is not to lie. And when, and when, I, when you, even if you're trying to be, I know you're, you're trying to be nice and hospitable, but if someone is actually a man, you, you can't lie to him and call him a she, right? And that's actually disobeying the Lord's command. Actually, it's bad for them. Right and, and then she said, second off, I was actually disobeying the 10th commandment. Not only was I obeying the, not, the ninth commandment, but I was disobeying the 10th commandment. Thou shalt not covet. I was actually encouraging someone to covet a different gender than what God had actually created them to be. Now, what I loved about the story that David brought out is Rosaria Butterfield, a very complex situation, like how do I do this? I, what do I do now? I'm, I'm being told that you're kind of a, you know, a, a jerk for Jesus. If you don't bow down and call people what they want to be called, that's different from how God has created them, male and female. You know, but people, I mean, this, we're all facing this. You know what this is like. This is happening even more and more. I mean, this is an ongoing thing. And she said, here's what I've got to do. I, I can't lie to people and I can't encourage covetousness, right? That's a breaking of the ninth and 10th commandment. What I'm telling you is this. Even the Ten Commandments are a great, it's a great root system. It's the moral law of God. It's all the laws that Israel had find their descent in the root system of the Ten Commandments. And if you are kind of even, wherever you're at in your walk with the Lord, if you revisit these ten, you'll almost have a great direction for what should I do next. I love that Rosaria Butterfield does that. Now do this. Would you look at Exodus 20, and I want to recall this to you, because this last week I was talking to someone who is about to have their Ph.D. in theology, and as we talked about the Ten Commandments, the person said, I don't even know what the Ten Commandments are. And then I thought, "Uh uh-oh, I don't think most of God's people 
know the Ten Commandments. Look at this. Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. You know that you can, almost, you can stay, you can be on that narrow path. You can, be, you can reject false teaching and actually have the tree of good fruit. In a minute, you'll see on a firm foundation, if you just have this, you shall have no other gods before me. No idolatry. No worshiping of anything other than Jesus. Number two, commandment number two in verse number four. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above on earth beneath or in water or under the earth. Nothing else is to represent God. God alone is who we, we worship his character. We worship who he is. We don't put any other God in his place. We don't, um, we don't fashion things and worship those things. We don't worship philosophies and ideologies. Go to, go to verse 7. You shall not take the name of Yahweh, your God, in vain, for God will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Taking his name in vain is more than just a, a cuss word. It's, it's also an irreverence. It also be this idea of avowing ourselves to his name but then living differently. You go back to our text. What does it look like to live in vain? Is to say I'm on the narrow path when I'm actually living on the wide path, right? To say I'm a, good, I'm a tree that's of the good tree, but actually doing all the teaching and listening of the false prophets of the bad fruit. So he says this in verse 4, verse 8, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. I want to explore this a little bit more over the next couple weeks. By the way, I just want you to notice something that we sometimes forget. In verse 9 and 10, you'll see this come out in the next couple weeks. In six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, a rest of Yahweh your God. In it you shall not do any work. Easy enough, right? And we'll talk more about that. But here's one thing that the Lord convicted me years ago about. Um, you or your sons or your daughter or your male or female slaves, right? Notice this. Not only can we be a Sabbath breaker, a rest breaker, Here's one thing the Lord convicted me about. How much am I causing others to actually do that? Right? Like every time I go and spend some money on a Sunday and make someone work, you know, am I actually doing the very thing? Do you understand what I'm talking about right here? All right? It's interesting. But I will tell you this. It's, it's God's moral law. Look in verse number 12, uh, verse 12, number 5. Honor your father and mother. Do you honor? Do we honor our father and mother? Do we? Shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, nor steal. Verse 16, you shall not bear false witness, lie. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. That's verse 17, commandment number 10. Uh, so trying to get this idea of this. In verse 23, I never knew, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now that's not just talking about the Ten Commandments. There were other commands that find that, that are the trees that come up from the root system here of the Ten Commandments. But what I am telling you is this. Those who were false teachers promoted lawlessness. You could see it in their life. You could see it in their teaching. Now go back to verse 15. Here's the hard thing about false prophets. Look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are what? Wolves. They're wolves. They're hard to see. They're hard to notice when they're wolves. They blend in very well, but yet they don't act like sheep. They don't smell like sheep. They don't sound like sheep, but they blend in really well, and it's really, really hard. I'll give you an example. There was one, there was one leader by the, I've, I called his name out several weeks ago, and I'll, I'll tell you his name again because something came up this past week. Um, and here's what this, this, this actual preacher actually said. He basically, in his sermon, he says this idea of... Um, that the creation account is, is not to be taken basically as an accurate record of how God created everything. It's basically communicating that God is the creator. But how that goes about, he, he was promoting the idea of what we would call mic, of, of macro evolution, right? Of, of this, um, that, that, people are, that, God, that people basically come from a series of evolution from kind to kind. Evolution, right? We call it typically macroevolution. Well, anyways, he basically had said that when you look at the Genesis account, here's what you find is it's not really about he created Adam and Eve 
It's really that he is the creator. You don't, don't press that. That was the wording that God used because the, the children of Israel, as Moses is writing this, they don't have the intellectual capacity to understand anything more, so God puts it on a level that they can actually understand. Now, here's, here's the exact words that he says. There is no conflict between evolution and theism because evolution is a means. Here's what he says. By the way, this is Andy Stanley, right? But um, I cannot promote this guy anymore. Um, because evolution is a means, he says this. Theism says there was an agent. I have one high school biology te- Christian teacher here who's... Um, because someone applauded in the crowd when he said this. It was like one person, the biology teacher. It's like, please, would somebody make this clear? I know this is really important because people come home, kids come from biology class, high school, like, well, you know, but evolution. But we don't believe in evolution. We believe in creation. Wait, 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 he says. This is very important. Here's what Andy Stanley says. The Genesis account of creation, the point of that isn't, here's how God did it. The point of that is that God did it. And then there was a lot of applause. He then says this. Hang on. When, um, when Yahweh says, hang on, I created everything out of nothing. I didn't use body parts, okay? I didn't split, I didn't split the goddess Tamat in half and her lower half become the earth and the upper half become the heavens. He was describing how some of the pagan literature describes how earth was created. He says, um, he says, there is one God, I'm God, I did it. And the point of the Genesis account creation continues is that God created it, not exactly how he did it. Now this is important, he says. God is the heavenly father does something for you and does something for every generation from the beginning that we should be so grateful for. And if you're a parent, you do this as well. You know that God does, God accommodates to our capacity. So here, you know that God does this. He accommodates to our capacity. Here's what he says. God accommodates to our capacity. Where do babies come from, your, your child might ask. Well, the response is, it depends on who's asking, isn't it? And you didn't lie to your five-year-old when she asked, and you didn't lie to your 15-year-old when they asked. And when a high school biology student studies reproductive uh, science, you know, that teacher isn't lying. We never lie, but we change the answer. He basically says, if the five-year-old asks you a question about creation, about about reproductive issues, you give them one answer. The 15-year-old, you give them another answer. Not that any of those answers are lying. That's his kind of parallel, and this is what he says. Why? Because you're lying? No, because we're accommodating to a person's capacity. So come on. What was the capacity of ancient, ancient, ancient slave culture Hebrews? Was there any way in the world that God could explain to them how he did it? No. So what he's basically saying is, the creation account that's given to the Hebrew children, um, because they're slaves, they're unintelligent, they can't understand, they don't have capacity to understand so, how God did everything. So, the Genesis account is not actually an accurate of what God actually, how it happened, it's just really an account that God did it. Now, it sounds so easy and slight, but what is that? That's the wide path, isn't it? What's that? Yeah, yeah. Chronological snobbery. I like that. So here's what I want to tell you. That's wolf teaching. It's wolf teaching. It's because you know what? Jesus said in John in Matthew 19, what? That God created a male and female, right? When you get to Ephesians 5 and God starts talking about the church, doesn't he compare what he's done with the church, the bride, to what he did in creation and performing the first wedding ceremony. Are we getting this, right? It's wolves. By the way, um, we have to be careful of these wolves. They're all around. They're, they're coming for us. And we buy into a lot of their false teaching. And a lot of the wolves now, it's more than just the creation account. It's this idea of living life selfishly, self-exalted, living the way we want to live, living to our own glory. And the fruit of it, Let's look at their life. There's lawlessness. There's disobedience in their teaching and their lives. Now look in verse 24. Now we have two foundations. It says this in verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine and does them may compare to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains descended, the rivers came, the winds blew and fell against the house. It did not fall for it was founded on the rock. So here's what we have. We have a a rock house. 
And this rock house is described as someone that only hears his words in verse 24, but what? But what? But does them. Obeys them. But then, look at verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and what? Not doing them. Compared to a foolish man. So the one who builds, who builds on the foundation of the rock is wise. The one who builds on the foundation of no foundation, just the dirt, is foolish. The one who's on the dirt is the one who does not obey. The one who is on the rock does obey. And both experience the same storm. The same storm is coming for both. One will stand, one will fall. Now, understand, in the context, he's speaking to these religious leaders who are leading God's people astray, who are adding and taking away from God's word, justifying themselves and justifying disobedience to the law of God, right? They're, they're doing this. They were even going so far as to say, hey, you don't have to honor your mother and father. If you'll actually make a promise to spend some money on something else, you no longer have to make sure your parents are taking care of it at a later date, and, and you can kind of get out of that fifth commandment. They were doing all sorts of things, adding and taking away from God's law. And Jesus says, hey, they're building their house on the rock. Um, I'm sorry, on the sand. And the rain will come, the floods will come, the weather will come, and that house will fall. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. They will be those who are on the Broadway that leads to destruction. They will be those who have the bad fruit who will end up in the fire of hell. But those who are on the rock obey. Not because obedience brings, obedience is how we earn God's righteousness. Obedience is because of God's righteousness is on our account. And the, the point that we see here is this idea of everything has to do with do we actually obey him? Do we do, we do what his law has said? And the idea of God's law is a is a massive is a is a is a massive discussion that I'd like to have more. But I would say let's strip it down to like the elemental idea. Look at His Ten Commandments and how do those actually help a person to walk in a square life? So, I give an example. Um, I want to speak on the next couple of weeks just about this idea of a day of rest. And I, honestly, I, I want to do it because. I look at this text and I ask the Lord, is my life square? Is my life square? Like, have I, and I can tell you, for most of my life, I think I've dismissed the day of rest, right? Or I've dismissed this idea. I'm not even teaching people really well on this. And, and I can see it. I can see it even now where, you know, most people treat the, the resurrection Sunday, the first day of the week, they treat it in such a way like it doesn't matter. It's negotiable. If something better comes up, right? And, there, and there's not even a rest for their soul for that day. And even if that person were to come and, and do life with the church body, the rest of the day doesn't look like anything different from the other six. And I wonder why people seem to love the Lord less, love His law less. And then we start to wonder, we set this pattern for our kids that we're seeing this right now. I mean, we're seeing the pattern of of like the next generation doesn't see any use for the church. They see the church as irrelevant. And you look at the Barna research, and Barna would say, well, it's because the church hasn't made itself relevant enough. I, I, I don't know if I really accept that. I think God's people haven't obeyed the fifth commandment enough. I'm sorry, the fourth commandment enough. That's, I think, maybe we're, we haven't taught our children well. So let me end with this. Um, did everybody get a chance to look at that block, right? <gasps> Y'all did it. Congratulations, everybody. Well done. That's hard to do. Can you throw it to me? That would have been embarrassing if I dropped it. Okay. So here's what we have. All right? I don't know if you noticed, but this is a square. Does everybody notice it's a square? Is that kind of obvious, right? It's a cube, right? It's a square. It's a cube. It's two inches by two inches by two inches, right? I measured it myself, but don't get your tape measure out because I'm a terrible carpenter. But, but here's the deal with this kind of cube. Notice, it's all connected. It's two by two by two by two, any way you turn it. When you look at our text today, I want you to notice there were two pathways, two trees, two foundations. And you're either in one, of, it's not I'm on the wide but I'm actually on, you know, I'm on the wide, 
but I'm also on the rock. Nope. If you're on the wide, then you're following the philosophies and even yourself of the bad tree, and you're following the sinking sands of life, right? You're, you're, when the weather comes, you will, you will tear down and destroy, and you will be under the judgment of God someday. There's only two paths. So this is why I call it the square life. I cut this two by two by two, right? To give this idea of, it's not just this idea of, well, I'm on the narrow, thus, um, you know, that's all I'm concerned with. No, actually, if you're on the narrow, then you'll actually be in the good fruit. You'll listen to those who are proper teachers. You'll actually follow the path of righteousness and obedience. And actually, you'll be one who's building your house actually on the firm foundation of Jesus, right? It's a square life. Now, I want you to notice something else. Did y'all notice when this came by, did, did this piece of wood look perfect? No. Did y'all notice there's some holes, there's some weathering? It, you know, it, it's not perfect. It's, it's, it's had some, it's weathered. And what I don't want you to come from this and think, oh, Nick's calling us to perfection. Because he said lawlessness, that means they, they, it means that they never broke the law. Not calling you to perfection. What I am calling us to is repentance, Right? The deal with the scribes and Pharisees is when they were confronted with God's truth, they didn't repent. How do we know that? Because they did everything they could to get, the sa- to get Jesus to the cross, right? They wanted him out of the way. They didn't want to repent, right? They wanted to erase and negate. But we find this. When God's people know that they've broken God's law, they repent. And that doesn't mean we're perfect, but it does mean we're trying to live that two-by-two-by-two by two by two life. That means we're, we're actually trying to go, Lord, you've called me to live on the narrow way. You've, you've called me to actually obey. And, and Lord, I'm enjoying the fruits of that obedient life is that I'm actually building my life on the rock. And when difficulties in my family, in my marriage, with my kids, with my job, with trying to obey the desires of the flesh, I'm actually on the rock. And someday when I die and I stand before God, the blood of Jesus is what's covering me. I'm standing on the rock of Jesus, and I will stand on that day. But those who are in the wide path, the bad fruit, the disobedience, they're on the sand. They'll never survive. Bad things in life happen. It kicks their teeth in, and they fall apart. Then when, when it's all over and they stand before the Lord, they're sinking sand. They will be judged for their sins. Now we'll end it with verse 28 and 29. Now it happened that when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Why were they astounded? Because he taught them, he taught them actually God's truth. And for he was teaching them as one having, what does it say? Authority. Not as their scribes. That's why I'd say in this text, it's referring back to the scribes and Pharisees, right? The people who were adding and taking away from God's law. And so we have this. I pray for us that I hope this little square is a reminder that this is actually the, the we have, there's a two by two life that the Lord wants us to live, right? And you, you can go either one or two directions, right? But what the Lord really wants is this kind of square life where I'm in the narrow path, I'm following the Lord. I've got my life built on the rock of Jesus. And I will weather the storms of life. Would you stand with me and could we pray over this? Our worship team can make your way up here. We need your help. Well, I need your help really do. If there's someone who's on the wide path today, Jesus is not their Lord and King. If they're deceiving themselves by the fact that they said his name in a prayer, but their life has not reflected one of obedience, or today would they make an examination? For the rest of us, would you? Wow. Would you help us the philosophy of false prophets and false teachers, the philosophies of man, we keep wanting to buy into them. Let us keep going back to your law.
to your word. What has thus saith the Lord? God, protect us. Protect us from this sinking sand kind of life. I fear for God's people. I fear for them. We don't belong. We belong on the sure foundation. Help us to build our life that way. Let us as a moment as we will sing together, then we'll come and take a meal, and then we'll build each other up, then we'll take communion. And, and, and may we renew ourselves in this. May we renewed in the gospel message. Would you help your people today? We, we really do need you. We need a square life. God help. In Jesus' name, amen.